Amen. You can have a seat. How's everybody doing? Yeah? Are you sure? I didn't hear much. I didn't hear much excitement out there with that. How's everybody? Okay, there we go. Holy cow. I thought you were at a Chiefs game all of a sudden. Kind of went out of the way. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. I want to explain a little about what's going on uh, over the next couple months. Over the next 90 days, we've invited you to be a part of this NT90, New Testament in 90 through 90 days. Uh, we're going to read through the New Testament. Now, for those of you who are here, when I got here eight years ago, um, maybe you might remember that we did something like this. I got here in March, March 15th. We started this on April uh, the middle of April, April 15th, around that time frame, and we did the New Testament 98 years ago. And I remember hearing things like this from some of the original 20 people, most of whom who are still here, all right, saying things like this. I don't think I've ever, ever read through the New Testament in that short a period of time. I don't think I've ever read the New Testament in a chronological version or in a chronological way ever in my life. And those were statements I heard back eight years ago. And I would hope and pray that maybe, just maybe, you're that person who would say, I've never done this before. I've never read through the New Testament in 90 days. Maybe you've never read through the New Testament at all. Maybe you've never read through the New Testament in a chronological fashion. What we tried to do was make this in a chronological fashion so everything kind of makes sense. Now, over the next 90 days, we're going to preach from sections of scripture that you read through throughout the week, all right? So as we go over the next 90 days, hopefully you're being challenged, you're being encouraged, you read through God's word, God's doing things in you, the Holy Spirit's working in you, you're reading, you got questions, you got things like that, and then hopefully we'll preach through that. I'm not going to preach through every section. In other words, if you read over seven days, that would be crazy. Because I'd be preaching like 28 chapters in a week, all right? It's not going to happen. You wouldn't get anything out of it for, a whole, for the whole part. But we're going to focus on key areas. Then you got this as you came in. This is a here aspect, all right? One of the things we initiated about a year and a half ago was a, a ministry called Replicate Ministries that focused on, they changed their programming within their church and focused on everything being based upon scripture, not curriculum based. And then they challenge us. They gave us a, a reading plan. And this reading plan is as you're reading through the New Testament, what you'll see in, the, in this flyer here, in this pamphlet here, as you're reading through it every day, we're encouraging you to take a journal, go buy a cheap notebook at Walmart. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Use napkins, whatever. All right. And you're going to do what we call hear the text. You're going to highlight the main point what you would think would be the main idea of what you just read, the thesis statement, if you would say from that uh, standpoint. They're going to explain it. And when we talk about this, why was it written? Who was it written to? What's it about? Why is it pointed this way? Because here's the reason why, right? Everybody can get scripture to say whatever the heck you want it to say when you take a verse out of context, right? Like people do that all the time. If I take a verse out of context, I can get the Bible to say what I want to say how I want to say it, we have to understand the original intent behind the text, the context of the text, and then apply it to our life. So it's highlight the main theme, explain the context, apply, how does this scripture apply to my life, right? How does this call me to change? What do I need to change in my life? What thought process, patterns, ideas, beliefs, 
or actions do I need to change my life? And then response. Response is simply, and we lay it out there for you in this plan, is to respond to God through this. God, you're calling me to change this in my life. I'm turning this over to you. I'm asking you to to create in me a clean heart, a pure heart that's going to follow you and be obedient to you. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. I know we're jumping a little early, but we're going to start this New Testament or NT90 off with Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11, follow along with me, and we're going to read through verse, or sorry, starting off in verse 1 through verse 11. This is what happens, all right? And I want to give some context here real quick. Jesus has just been baptized in the desert, right? He goes down into the Jordan River. John's there. John's been preaching this gospel of repentance. Jesus comes down. He's baptized. It tells us literally that the heavens opened up. As the heavens opened up, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. And it says that the Father responded, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So here's the context of what's going to happen now. Jesus has been baptized Chapter four, then Jesus, after his baptism, was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by who? By the devil. Keep that in mind. A lot of people think that temptations come from God. They don't come from God. They come from Satan. They come from the evil one. All right. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would be too. If you ever fasted one day and complained and been like, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. Think about it for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse three, the tempter came to him. Again, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become, gre- to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Say every word. Every word, there we go. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Listen to what Satan does again. If... You are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him. It's also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this will be given to you, he said, if... You will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Listen, over the next 90 days, we're gonna be focusing on what it means to live a life of obedience to God based upon his word, not based upon your ideas, not based upon your preferences, not based upon political ideologies, not based upon the newest ways that everybody says you got to accept everything and, and this is just the way things are, that scripture's old and outdated. No, we're going to base everything that we do based on a, our church, in our lives, in everything, we're going to do it based upon or built upon God's word and God's teaching, all right? And so that's how I pray for you. Then over the next 90 days, you will dig into God's word and you will literally say, God, what do you have for me? You know, Chris was just praying about this idea of revival. And one of the things that we have to begin to understand is revival doesn't take place in a corporate body of believers or within a church unless revival takes place individually in the lives of each individual believer inside the church. And it starts somewhere. 
It starts in a small group of believers who dig in and, and, and desire obedience and desire God more than they desire anything else. And so listen, over the next 90 days, this NT90 idea is this idea of a spiritual fitness guide or a system designed to get us in peak, listen to me, peak spiritual shape for the ministry that's ahead of us. And here's the reason why. Over the next 90 days, and, and some of the things that we've had to evaluate over the last year, we're going to be refocusing our efforts on spiritual growth. We're going to be renewing our commitment to God's mission, and we're going to be relaunching ministry to be a greater impact in our city. And one of the things I want to clarify and, and I want to communicate clearly just real quick is this, that starting July 1st, services were going to start at 10.30 a.m., and we're no longer going to have Sunday school. Now, if everybody goes, oh my gosh, what the heck? Everybody's voting with attendance based upon Sunday school. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna change things up. We're gonna focus on groups. We're gonna focus on ministry. We're gonna meet in homes. Uh, if a group chooses to meet on a Sunday morning, the group can meet on a Sunday morning. That will take the place of Sunday school. We will not have childcare for that group at that point. Starting at 1030, we will launch out to reach, uh, hear me out. We want to reach the next generation. Last week, I was at church. Before I came here at the end of the service, I was at a church up there, and it said this. The, the, the person, the people, or the place that wants the next generation the most will get them. And what I'm here to tell you is this, that the next generation is flocking and longing for other things. And I believe it's our desire and our goal as a church, as a body of believers, to say we want the next generation. And we're going to do everything we can to reach the next generation, to reach the kids, to reach the teenagers, to reach the young adults, to stand on the truth of God's word and to reach out to them. So starting July 1st, what time are we starting? 1030. All right. If you've been a part of our church for a while, here's this. That doesn't mean show up at 1030. What we're wanting you to do now is to show up at 10 o'clock ready to serve. We need people who can serve in the kids' ministry. Some can teach. If you're a teacher, we'd love to have you. If you're a helper who can come alongside and help out, we have to have multiple people in each room. And please hear me out when I say this. With everything that goes on in our culture, we want to guard and protect the lives of our kids, including, listen, any false accusations against our workers, as well as to make sure that nothing ever happens. You and I know that if any sexual misconduct was to happen amongst our church because somebody got in there, and we do, listen, we do background checks, we do everything else, but we have to have two teachers in every room for the protection of our kids, for the protection of our adults, and for the simple fact that we want to be above board because we want to make sure that none of that ever happens in our church. Please hear me out on that. You guys, we got that part? So please hear what I'm saying. 1030? We still need you here at 10 o'clock, ready to greet first-time uh, first guests, ready to point people in the right direction. We'll hopefully have our coffee stuff open and ready. We're going to need hospitality people. We need greeters. We need parking lot people who are going to be out there greeting people as they show up. And so when I say this, keep in mind what I just said, we are going to refocus our efforts on spiritual growth. We're going to renew our commitment to God and his mission, and we are going to relaunch our ministry to greater impact our city. The one thing I notice over and over and over again that if I'm gone and I'm going to visit another church and things like that is this. There are a lot of people out there who have no clue, no desire and aren't missing church. And we want to reach those people. 
In order to do that, we must be a church and a people who are seeking to grow in our relationship with God daily. That's why we want to focus on this New Testament 90 thing. And so if you notice, following along in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, I want you to see this, that Jesus' resolve to fulfill God's plan for him had to be tested and proved right at the outset of his ministry, not later on. So Jesus, and here's, here's the way temptation oftentimes works, and I want you to understand this. Anytime we begin to move in the right direction, there's some positive encouragement, there's some flow going in the right direction, we're starting to be obedient, and I'll use this as an example, maybe you're, a person comes to Jesus, they're a new believer, they follow in baptism, and then guess what? If you think Satan all of a sudden lets the foot off the gas pedal, he doesn't. He puts the pedal to the metal and he comes and attacks full bore. And likewise, Jesus is coming off what we would classify as the spiritual high of showing he's uniting with humanity. He's 100% human, 100% God. He's blessed by the father. This is my son who I'm well pleased. And then what happens? It says the spirit led him out into the desert to be tempted. Who led him out into the desert? the spirit, to be what? Tempted or tested. Listen, one of the things we have to begin to understand, and oftentimes we don't think about this, but temptation often comes after some sort of a spiritual breakthrough. And there are some things we need to know. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus to this place of temptation, but he did not cause the temptation. It's important for us to understand that. As a matter of fact, if you were to flip to James chapter one, it says this, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has, has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it gives full grown, gives birth to death. So here's what ends up happening. The spirit allows us to be tempted. Matter of fact, if you were to read the earlier part of James, it says that temptations or trials that we face develop perseverance. The spirit leads us into opportunities to be tested or tempted and tried. And we can understand that in the midst of those, that he is going to walk with us. He's not gonna be the one who tempts us. But he's going to lead us into situations where we are tested to, to, to strengthen and develop perseverance in our faith. And so here's some things to know as we jump into Matthew 4, right? Things to know that we're seeing. Number one, that desert, this desert mentality of Jesus being led out into the desert, it, it's, it echoes the wanderings of Israel, all right? For 40 years, they wandered in the desert. And so this echoes that he's led out in the desert to be tested or tried for 40 days. Satan entices, listen, the people of Israel to sin consistently. There's a reason why they wander for 40 years. Satan entices the Israelite people to sin, but at the same time, he cannot entice Jesus to sin. It was beyond Jesus to sin. And then listen, 40 days and 40 nights echoes the whole idea of 40 years of wandering. So Jesus is led right at the start of his ministry is led out to be tried or tested, tempted by Satan. And I I jokingly said this, but if you can imagine after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, weakness begins to set in. Your body needs certain things to to function and operate. And I've, I've met very few people who have actually done a 40 day and 40 night fast, very few 
because of what goes on um, in the midst of that. But Jesus, for 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting and he's led out in the desert to be tempted. And so there's two things that we can know about temptation. Number one, we said we can't blame God for temptation. Number two, I want you to understand this, that Satan will always attack areas of vulnerability when you least expect it. That's exactly what happens at this point in time. Jesus is led out into the desert and Satan comes and attacks what we'll call areas of vulnerability in any normal human's life. At which point I would say Jesus was tempted and tried just as we were, but yet there was no sin in him, so therefore he didn't follow through. But what I want you to see is this, that Satan will always attack areas of vulnerability in our life so that, listen, we can, he can cast doubt upon what God wants for you or what God expects out of you. And when he casts doubt upon those things, then he can reign victorious over your life. That's the way Satan works. He always attacks areas of vulnerability and weakness. So if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Here's the main point, the main idea. We will be led into testing, right? We will be led into testing, but we must rely upon the power of God's word to resist the temptations and to live fully. We have to rely upon the power of God's word to resist the temptations and live a full, meaningful, abundant life. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna answer three, I wanna answer one question in three ways, all right? Here's the question. How do we let scripture change our lives? How do I let scripture change my life? Based upon Matthew chapter four, how do I allow scripture to change my life? Number one is this. We must obey God's word over satisfying human desires. You hear that part? We have to obey what? God's word over satisfying human desires in my life. Now, I just threw out, that, that, that just basically covers everything under the sun, right? Like popularity, money, acceptance, love, I mean, we could, we could cover everything under the sun under those ideas and under that thought. I must obey God's word over satisfying my human desires. We could talk about pornography. We could talk about sexual addiction. We talk about alcoholism. We could talk about drug addiction. We can talk about marriage problems. We could talk about problems with relationships. We could talk about financial problems. All of those things are problems that are usually built upon satisfying human desires. And I cannot, I have to allow God's word to influence my life on a daily basis over satisfying my human desires. And that's exactly what takes place. And here's what's crazy about this. Satan always tries us to get us to doubt or deny the truth by questioning God's original design. Satan always tries to get us to doubt or deny the truth of God by questioning God's original design. And here's how we see that. Jesus has fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, listen to what he says. If you are the son of God. Do you think Satan knew who Jesus was? You better believe it. Do you think Satan was set off by the fact that here Jesus has finally come in human flesh and he's getting ready to unleash his ministry? Do you think Satan knew that he's about to get blow, the, 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 let's just call it the knockout blow of God? Yeah, Jesus had just been baptized. 
And we see all three persons of the Trinity evident in that baptism. Jesus in the water, the spirit coming down, descending on him like a dove, and the father saying, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. And then here comes Satan, right? If you're the son of God. Now here's what's crazy about what he does. Satan loves to tweak, twist, and turn God's word in order to get you to think, yeah, that's the right way. Yeah, that's the way, it's okay, you can go. The only way to battle Satan is to battle Satan with God's word, point blank, in context, understanding everything that goes on. I have to battle Satan with God's word. So here's my statement. You can hear the word, you can read the word, but if you don't live the word, you will kill the power of the word in your life. I can hear it, I can read it, but if I'm not gonna live it out, then you kill the power of the word in your life. And I don't wanna be a person who does that. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Now get this part, here's what it says. So that the man or woman of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Guess what that means? That God's word teaches me, that God's word corrects me, that God's word trains me, that God's word disciplines me so that I am thoroughly equipped for every good deed that he wants to do in my life. That was God's original intent. That was God's original design. That was God's original plan. And here Satan comes along and says, if you're the son of God, here's what you can do. And listen to what he says. Here's, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. All scripture is God, what? Breathed. It literally means it comes out of his nostrils. But it's the idea that he's very, very, literally speaking it into it. All scripture is God breathed. And it's useful. So I have to think about this. What's it useful for? Teaching me, correcting me, training me, and disciplining me. And here's the part that people most of the times don't like. They're like, okay, I'll take the teaching. I'll take a little bit of correcting as long as it comes from somebody that I like. But if I don't like him, I'm not gonna listen to him. I'll take the training part. But when it comes to discipline, when it comes to disciplining my life built upon scripture, most of the time it's like, yeah, I'm not gonna do it. The Bible is very clear that God disciplines those he loves. So he calls us into correction based upon his word. That when my life is out of line or when my life is not fulfilling the purpose that he's called me for, if I begin to wander from the path that his scripture, his word disciplines me. And here's the crazy thing about it. So many times people in the church want God's blessing, but they don't want obedience. And blessing always follows obedience. It's never vice versa. It's not like, God, give me the blessing and then I'll be obedient. But that's oftentimes the prayer in most people's lives. God, if you get me out of this situation, right? Like you watch Hollywood movies. God, just get me out of this situation. Then I'll follow you. When God says, that's not the way it rolls. That's not the way it works. When you're obedient, then the blessing comes. And so here's the encouragement again. Keep this in mind. We must obey God's word over satisfying human desires. We have to battle the temptation to meet our needs apart from Christ. Number two, 
How do we let scripture change our lives? I allow scripture, listen, to correct my heart toward God's faithfulness. I have to allow scripture to correct my heart toward God's faithfulness. Listen to what he says in verse five. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Listen to the question he says again. If you're the son of God, again, casting doubt on the truth that Jesus was the son of God. And now listen, he begins to call out scripture in his own way. Listen to what he says. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But listen to what Satan does. He takes Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 and he leaves out a key part, right? He leaves out this key part. Everybody's like, oh, see, Satan's quoting scripture. He knows scripture. Yeah, he knows scripture. But he leaves out a key part because here's Psalm 91 verse 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. If Jesus at any point in time sat back and said, look, I'm not gonna go this way. I'm gonna go ahead and do this. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go to the pinnacle of the temple and all these things in front of me are gonna be mine. I will rule over them. Number one, it wasn't an option because Jesus never had that ability. But I want you to understand what ends up taking place. Satan uses scripture to try and convince Jesus to do what? To be disobedient to God's will. And remember what I said, consistently, as a matter of fact, we see it more and more in today's culture that people want to take scripture, they want to leave out key sections or key context, and when they leave out the key context, then they can get scripture to say anything I want. You'll hear things like this, judge not lest you be, what? Judged, right? Right? Well, that's in relationship between a a non-believer and a believer. So a believer is not to judge a non-believer. But listen to me, most of the time that's quoted by believers who are being corrected or disciplined by another believer. The problem is scripture is very clear that you judge other believers. Did you know that? So when you hear a believer go, judge not lest you be judged, you don't have any right to speak into my life. Oh, yes, we do. Every believer has the right to speak truth into another believer's life based upon scripture. The problem is we don't like discipline. Discipline is not comfortable. When I'm called on the carpet for walking in disobedience to God, discipline is not something I like to hear. Matter of fact, I mean, let's just be honest. When I was a kid and growing up and my parents would discipline me, I don't remember any time where I'd be like, I'll go back and do that over again. Anybody want to say, you know, let me go back. Let my dad discipline me. Let my mom discipline me. No way. Discipline is not something that's enjoyable, but scripture says God disciplines those he loves. And so listen, a person is protected by God and God's faithfulness when we follow the Lord's will. So that's why I say allow scripture to correct my heart towards God's faithfulness. Oftentimes what people want to do is they want to throw God's faithfulness under the bus and say, see, he didn't protect me. No, you're operating outside the bounds of God's will because you've decided or chosen to continue to walk into a path or a direction that God never intended you to go because, listen, you have gone back to number one, which is trying to satisfy human desires instead of following number two, which is letting my heart be corrected to follow God's faithfulness. 
See how easy it is to go back even into chasing our human desires? And what happens is we chase human desires and then we call God's faithfulness on the carpet and go, see, he's not faithful. No, the blessing always follows obedience, not vice versa. When I'm obedient, then I'm blessed. And sometimes that blessing looks different. A lot of people think, well, see, I'm obedient, so I'm gonna be rich. No, let's get to scripture. Let's understand context. So we have to understand these things. Jesus literally throwing himself down right here to accommodate himself to the people's thinking would not be God's will. Because that's exactly what the people think. He should do it. Throw himself off the pinnacle. And here's what's crazy about the story. Did you know, I, I, I was kind of doing some, some searching uh, research on, on some of this and for some reason this popped up, but one of the disciples was actually martyred by being thrown off the pinnacle of the temple. Did you know that? I have to look more into it, but I found that very interesting. It didn't die either, correct. He was thrown off, didn't die, and then was later beheaded as a result of it. Crazy. Off the pinnacle of the temple. And to just think that that's the very pinnacle that Satan took Jesus to and offers him the world, and Jesus says... Yeah, bro, it's already mine. That's what I love about this. Here's the thing that we have to begin to understand. If you are obedient to what God has promised you, the promises throughout scripture that he lays out to each one of us, when I'm obedient, then the promises are are the payoff in the end. But oftentimes what we say is we see God's promises and go, God, that's great in the end, but what about now? And so what we want to do is we want to settle for God's promises now. So we're willing to sell ourselves short and say, okay, Satan, I'll give in because I want the promise now, not in the future. When God's promises are faithful and they are there till the very end. So allow scripture to correct my heart toward God's faithfulness. And number three, how do I let scripture change my life? Number three, let it change my heart towards sacrifice. Let it change my heart towards sacrifice. If you follow along with me at the end of chapter four, or sorry, at the end of the section in chapter four, it says that again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And I love this. All of this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Here's what happens. Satan offers the world to Jesus who is the author, perfecter, and creator, according to Colossians chapter one. He is the one who spoke everything into existence. How was the world created? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The earth was formless and void, and it says he began to speak everything. What does Jesus refer to in John chapter 14, verse one? He is the word, or sorry, John chapter one. He is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was flesh, right? The word was with God and the word was God. The very word of God, Jesus Christ, is the one who creates everything. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. So I have to let it change my heart towards sacrifice because listen, Satan was tempting Christ to save the world in an easier, less humiliating way than the death on the cross. It would have been a quick way, an easy way. But yet at the same time, It's not what God had. Anything in this life, listen, that takes interest or that takes over our central interest away from God is a God. It's an idol. And I have to let my heart be changed towards sacrifice. Why? Because my main point, my main goal is to bring honor and glory to Jesus in everything I do. 
And that's exactly what Jesus' goal was, to bring honor and glory to the Father in everything he did. Now listen, here's what Satan offers. He says, all this I will give to you. There are things that we have to begin to understand that are in place, in order right now, right? Number one, Satan is God of this age. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He is the God of this age currently right now, that, the, that, that God has turned it over to him to be sifted, to be tried, to be tempted in every way, that Satan is the God of this age, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And according to Jesus, he is the prince of this world, John chapter 12, verse 31. So he's the God of this age. He's the prince of this world. He has desires for worldly acceptance. He has desires to destroy the world. All you gotta do is look at what's going on consistently throughout the, 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 the vengeance, the hate, the, the discord, the violence, the, 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 the lack of grace. And Satan is doing exactly what he wants. To steal, kill, and destroy. But listen, here's the good news. As Satan appeals to the physical appetite and the desire for personal gain and the easy path to glory, Jesus took the hard path for you and me. That Jesus going to the cross was not the easy road, it was the hard road. It was God's road, it was God's way, it was God's plan from the get-go. Remember, Satan wants to change the plan. He always tries to twist scripture to get us to, to question he twists scripture to get us to question God's original design. And yet God's original design was Jesus from the get-go. And so here's what's crazy about this. Jesus stands up and here's what he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Satan wants to appeal, just like we talked about, to this physical appetite that we have. Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We as a church have to be prepared. And here's what I wanna encourage us. In the midst of everything that's gone on over the last year and a half, while I believe wholeheartedly that I think that we've come out of some things in a fairly good way, we as churches, I believe we as a church and we as churches around the world have to be ready for more issues, more problems and more difficulties. We have to be more mobile. We have to have more people step up and lead. We have to be prepared with groups who are willing to go underground to meet. Do you know right now in Canada that most churches are meeting underground? Do you know what the fine right now to meet as a group of believers in Canada is? to the businesses. There are businesses who have hosted or are opening up because they have meeting areas. They're hosting and opening up to these churches to meet underground. Keep in mind, I'm not talking about the Middle East, in Canada. Because of everything that's gone on with COVID, Canada has been so strict and shut everything down that there are churches right now that are meeting in businesses underground secretly. No cell phones allowed. No tracking devices allowed. You can't wear your watches in, nothing. They're meeting secretly so they can gather for God's word in Canada. We're not talking about, again, the Middle East or Africa or some third world country where they're cracking down on us. It's in Canada. And I believe wholeheartedly that we have to be prepared as a church with groups and leaders to be able to go mobile at any point. To be able to have people who are still gonna meet as a church where we can function as a church body. 
And I believe COVID did some serious sifting of people who really want to follow Jesus and others who just want to settle for a show. And so please hear me out when I say this. We're going to do the best we can to knock, the, 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 knock it out of the park, to do the best we can in, in first impressions, to do the best we can in worship, to do the best we can in making disciples and having church programs. But please hear me out also in this, that we cannot, cannot be taken by surprise if we were ever forced to go underground and begin to meet. We have to have leaders and, and small group leaders and, and Bible teachers and people who can step out and who can lead in those ways. And so I believe it all starts with this right here. That we ask God to revive us through his word. God, would you speak to me? God, will you change me? God, will you call me out? God, will you let me lead? God, would you give me everything I need to accomplish everything you have for me? So keep in mind, we're refocusing our efforts on spiritual growth. We're renewing our commitment to God's mission and we're relaunching ministry to be a greater impact in our city. But at the same time, we have to reevaluate everything that we do to be prepared to go mobile if anything like that was to ever happen again. And it may or may not. But I can tell you right now that there are government officials in the United States government who don't want churches meeting. And so we've got to be prepared. And so here's what I say with this. Let's be a church and let's be people who seek God over the next 90 days and that that's just the beginning of God working in and through us because the city of independence needs more churches. They're gonna passionately seek Jesus, passionately pursue relationships with lost people and passionately share the gospel. That's what we need. Are you committed? Are you ready? Do you have a desire? What's your next step? How can you step out? Maybe it's to follow Jesus in baptism. Maybe it's to say, hey, I wanna be a part of serving so I can invest in the next generation because those who want the next generation, those who go after the next generation are gonna get the next generation. And we've gotta pursue the next generation. We have more and more families and more and more kids now who are not raised in homes with a mother or a father who know Jesus, with a grandparent or grand, with a grandmother or a grandfather who knew Jesus. There are some generations now, five generations deep, that haven't gone to church, won't go to church, aren't going to church, aren't looking for church, that need Jesus. Are you in? Let's pray. Father, we pray today, God, that you would raise up leaders. That God, maybe there are some today who need to be called, who are called out basically to to follow you. Maybe it's to serve in kids ministry or to help and volunteer in youth ministry. Maybe it's to step out and say, I wanna be a part of first impressions. Maybe it's a person who says, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've never followed in baptism. God, we know that there is a next step for all of us. And God, maybe it's a commitment to read your word every day, to follow you. And to say, no matter what the cost, I will line my life up with God's scripture, not over my human desires. That every decision and every attitude and every direction I go will be built upon the truth of your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd have your way. We pray that you give us wisdom as we move forward. We pray that you give us a passion for a renewed calling, a renewed sense to follow your mission. And God, as we relaunch our ministries, 
that you would be honored and glorified, that people who are lost would be found, that those 99 that are here in church, that we could leave the 99 and go after the one who's not. Because we know that's what you did first and foremost. So Lord, I pray that we would follow you no matter the cost. It's in Jesus' name I pray.